Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 104 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 21st of April 2013, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 36. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Right, I invite you to stand this morning to honor the reading of God's holy word taken from Acts chapter 2 and beginning in verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. They, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Father, we thank you again for the time that we have already had together this morning. Lord, for that which still remains for us around your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have your word that has been preserved for us, and we have your spirit within that will give us understanding. Lord, we thank you that you know the hearts of each individual this morning. You know exactly what each and every need is. And Father, we pray now by the power of your Spirit that you would speak to hearts as only you can, that you would meet hearts as only you can. But Father, as we attend to your word this morning, Lord, may we be receptive and responsive in whatever way we need to. We will give you all the praise and honor for it, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue in our Sunday morning series on contending for the faith. Number 104, and still counting, amen? And we've covered a number of topics as we looked at that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, and we've been looking now uh, for three years at a lot of the fundamental, foundational truths that we are to stand for, that we ought to be willing to fight for, and trying to, as we look at these things, Uh, Try to consider what is fundamental to even be part of the same faith, the Christian faith, because many of those fundamentals have been tossed away, have been tossed aside, uh, have been ignored uh, in our day uh, for the sake of unity and many other things that are not true unity at all when the truth is not there. But as we look at these things, we also recognize that there are some things that spring from those fundamental truths that are extremely important to us uh, as a church, as a united uh, body of believers that are united together in a common faith around this common truth. And so we've been looking now at, uh, at some time, I think we're up to number 36, in the glorious church of Jesus Christ, looking at the church. And if we've been looking now for Uh, the last few months at the operation of a New Testament church. And as we have have looked there uh, under this operation, we looked at the focus of that church. We looked at the functions of that church. And of course, under those functions, we've looked already at the ministry of worship, uh, at the ministry of witness, at the ministry of the Word, 
And today we turn our direction to the ministry of work, the ministry of service, if you would. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, another passage that we have looked at for a number of things in these, uh, uh, in these recent months, I direct your attention back there where it says that and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Notice the next words, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we've talked a number of times about these different gifts and their purposes and, and what God is doing with them in the church. But I want you to notice here that just as we looked last week, that one of the reasons that he had had given these teaching pastors to the church, these, these gifts was for the perfecting of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And we, we looked at a number of those verses that followed, but we find here also for the work of the ministries. Now, these words express the idea it could also be said as for the perfecting of the saints unto the doing of service. That word ministry, that word service, they come from the same Greek word. When they're translated into our Bibles, uh, depending upon their context, sometimes one way, sometimes another, the ministry of work, or if you would, the ministry of service. Now, in considering the operation of a, of a New Testament church, because Anybody can call themselves a church. People can have the best intentions, and we have to keep this in mind and, and keep our loving spirits. Folks, we don't have all the answers, and we are not a perfect church. And there's a lot of people that may disagree with us on different things. But the simple truth is, is that just because people have good intentions, just because people are sincere in their hearts, it doesn't make it New Testament, as we look at this and keep our minds upon this, where we began in the operation of the focus of the church, that the church is the dwelling place of God, of Jesus Christ, that it should bring glory to Him in everything, in everything that we, that we do and everything that we say. We find that we said in everything that is present within the church, and everything that is practiced by the church, he should be glorified. So if we consider the functions of the church and we look in Scripture at this ministries of worship and witness and word that we've looked at, many of those things could really, that we've discussed, could fall under this topic of the ministry of works. Of course, when we speak of ministry, we're speaking of something, folks, a ministry is not something that you do for yourself. A ministry is always what you do for someone else. You serve others. The word literally means to, to look after, to care for, to, to attend to the needs of another. We're speaking of serving someone else. We're speaking of, of service, literally to minister is to serve. Of course, first and foremost, we are the servants. We are the bond slaves of Jesus Christ himself. And as the body of Christ, 
We're here to serve him. We're here, we've seen through so many of these things, we're here to do the work of Christ, not our own work. We're here to do his work. He is our greatest example. And he is very, very clear on this matter of service and how to serve him best. Turn with me, if you would, back to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20. We'll read verses 20 through 28. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children and her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. He said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. When the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We find that Jesus is very clear. I mean, these guys, you know, they, they have a great desire to, to be right there next to Jesus when they get to glory. And he says, that's not mine to give, but I will tell you something. If you want to be great in God's eyes, it's not by showing how powerful and authoritative you are. It's by being a servant. It's by ministering to others. The word there that we find in verse 26 when he says, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. The word there, diakonos. A noun, which literally means servant. It's where we get our word deacon, one that, that serves others. In other words, he's saying, you know, that uh, the one that wants to be great among you, he's going to be the servant. He's going to be the one that is willing to serve. He goes on in the next verse, in verse 27, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your, notice the word there, your servant. The word doulos, it literally means a bondservant or a slave. So if you want to be great amongst him, you're going to have to be a servant. If you want to be chief, you're going to have to go in front. You're going to have to be a bondservant. You're going to have to be willing to to be a slave to, to others, to do what others need, what others want of you. Verse 28, even as 
the greatest example in all the world, as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The akineo, it's the verb form of what we saw in verse 26, someone that serves. The word here is the verb that means to serve. So we find that we minister to and we, we serve Christ best. As far as God is concerned, you know, if we're going to be great in his eyes, then it's going to come through serving others. We find that, in a sense, the other acts of ministry that we've discussed in themselves, we begin to see that they really are a part of this ministry of works. You see, in true worship, contrary to popular belief, Contrary to church belief, we don't worship to please me. We don't worship to make me happy, to make me feel good. We worship to please Him. We worship to magnify God. We worship by ministering to others. We don't come because of what church is going to do for me today. If we're really going to get a blessing, we come to be a blessing to someone else. We come to serve someone else. What might that other person need? Yes, we've looked at all the, the gifts that are given to those within the body and everybody is using their gifts for someone else, for the others, for the edifying of the whole, for the betterment of the whole. The minute that he gets on me, what I like and what I don't like, and we're writing God out of the picture. You see, if we're going to truly worship Him, He's going to have to be a first. It's always Him and then others before I even come into the picture. Always with God. Him first and then others and then me. In the ministry of witness, in the ministry of the Word that we talked about, the focus is always upon him and upon others. We are to go and we are to do, but it's all and always for him and for others. As we have seen in looking at these functions of the church, all these things that are within the operation of, of what a church should be and what a church should do, you know, we can't overemphasize. When it comes to worship, it must be biblical worship. We can't overemphasize the ministry of witness. That's what Jesus came for, was to seek and to save the lost, and that's why we're still here, folks. We cannot overemphasize the centrality of the Word of God, regardless of what we've been told regardless of what traditions might be there, regardless of what seems rational to us, what does God's Word say? See, we must. We must keep these things at the forefront. If a church is going to be a New Testament church, then it must be operating according to the New Testament. We said those, those things aren't all that we do as a church. We can't overemphasize them. But there are other things in Scripture that should be a part of the operation of a truly 
New Testament church, of any New Testament church. I want to direct your area really just to two areas in looking at that this morning. First of all, specific areas of service. Preacher, what are you talking about? What is it that we as a church should be doing? And then secondly, I want to direct your attention to one other simple thought. That's the scriptural authority for service. Looking back to our reading in Acts chapter 2, we find that, notice what it says there in verse 43. We move and it says, and fear came upon every soul. How many of you came to church to be afraid? Fear. You can look that word up. If you have trouble understanding fear in the English, you can go back to the Greek and you can look it up and you know what it is? Fear. Being afraid. There was, there was real uh, fear upon all, it says here. It says, and fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now, we see that there was something going on in this church. Things were happening that was actually bringing fear to those that were there. Why? Well, it says there were many wonders. Same word that other places is translated miracles. You know, there were many of these wonders and signs. It says that were being done through the apostles. The church was seeing things going on that were not explainable by man. They weren't explainable in their understanding. Things that could not be attributed to man's power, man's abilities, miracles, that which is beyond our realm, that can only be accredited to God. Is God a miracle-working God? Absolutely. Does God still work miracles today? Absolutely. No question about it. As a matter of fact, we should not only believe in miracles, we should expect miracles from God. We should expect Him to do the impossible. We should expect Him to do that which is beyond what we can do. Folks, God isn't limited. He isn't limited in any way. He's not limited because of time and, and place. He is sometimes hindered. <laughs> He's hindered by the flesh. He's hindered by our unbelief. He's hindered by sin in our midst. That being said, it's important to note here that these events that were happening in the midst, they weren't just wonders, miracles. They were signs. And it's accredited to being done through the apostles. And you can look up that word sign. And you'll find that the word there really also speaks of something that is miraculous, something that is beyond the natural. But it is different from just a miracle because it's something that is done to distinguish one thing or one person from another. 
In other words, you can have a, a, a miracle take place that it can be accredited, Brother Steve, only to God and God doing something. But you can also have God do something that is beyond man's power, something that is miraculous, that is for a specific sign or purpose to distinguish one thing or one person from the others. So we find that the miraculous was being done through the apostles but those, those signs, some of those miraculous things were being done to distinguish these apostles from others. We find that they were being done to authenticate these men and their message to prove that they were who they said they were, that they were truly the spokesmen of God. You see, we've already seen that these men, these apostles, were the very foundation of the church that Christ was building. And they and their message needed to be authenticated. Why? Because Jesus just left and went back to heaven. He had left these men to carry on his work, to build his church upon. But folks, the New Testament wasn't written yet. They didn't have the New Testament that we have today, we've already seen that when their work was complete, the Bible doesn't show us anywhere that any of them were replaced. The signs that were there to authenticate them, to prove them, they weren't needed anymore because there weren't any apostles to prove. We find that the Bible tells us that some of those gifts ceased to be. Now, if you want to look at more of that, look back. We did a whole bunch of sermons on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the work of those things, and it's all there. But we're saying that as we look at this church, let's be careful. First of all, we know that we must not be misled. This is part of where we, we came from as we began in the book of Jude in the first place. We can be misled by men. We can be misled by the flesh. We can be misled by our own emotions. And it's much easier than most of us really think. Likewise, don't let anyone tell you that God is not a miracle-working God that God is able to do anything that, don't let anyone tell you that anything is too hard for them. The Word of God spells out clearly in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, says, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Is that clear or not? With God nothing shall be impossible. And he said also in Luke chapter 18, verse 27, and he said, the things which are impossible with men, are possible with God. There's a lot of things that are impossible with us. They're beyond our realm, but they're very possible with God. In both Matthew and Mark, just prior to recording of our text concerning Christ coming to minister and to be a ransom for many, guess what? This is recorded, that the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. You see, throughout history, when we begin to read about the church, 
And one of the exciting things to read about is about the great revivals within the church. You know, one of the things that's interesting is when you begin to read about great revivals, when man got out of the way and God got in, there were things that took place that were out of the ordinary. I mean, why worry about having a revival if nothing's going to happen, if everything's going to go on just the same? There were unusual happenings, unusual events. You see, we can't, we mustn't try to to put God in some kind of a box that fits comfortably with us. But remember, there's one place you can keep God for certain. He'll never, under any circumstances, not only will he not, it would be impossible for God to violate his word. He is the word. This is his word. And he'll never do anything that it will violate what he's given to us there. You see, God's word is binding, and it's authoritative in every way. It is our authority. That's where we began this series. You know, the very basis of our faith is the word of God. We sometimes get it twisted around because, you know, we believe something is right because, well, I feel it. I know it's right because I feel it in my heart. Or we know that something is right and it's of God because I've experienced it. I've done it or this has happened because of some, some experience. We know it's of God. Folks, we must never allow our emotions or our experiences to interpret the Scriptures but rather the Scriptures must interpret our emotions. Our hearts can be deceitful above all things. We might want to, and it's not a question of whether or not your emotions are real or whether you really feel that or whether you really think that. But your own hearts, your own emotions, your own feelings, they can be deceitful to you. Even your experiences. You see, just because something is good, just because something is real, that it really happened or you really felt it, it doesn't make it of God. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, wherever he wants. But he'll always remain true to himself, to his character, to his word. You see, if we get out of the way with all of our limitations and so often our, our, our lack of faith. We might actually experience some of that fear that they did on the day of Pentecost. We see God doing the things that are beyond explanation. These things are impossible. How could that be? Because it's God. You see, I believe then and only then will we begin to truly see this ministry of work, this ministry of service. Only then will we see it accomplish what God wants to accomplish. We can accomplish a lot of things that we want to accomplish, but as long as we're just simply doing that which is accomplished by men alone, how's the world ever going to see Christ? <laughs> 
They could see us doing all these wonderful, good, grand, great things. But how are they going to see Christ if it's only what we are doing? One of the great Bible examples of this is what we read in our text in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. Let me read those again. He says, and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, I want to tell you something. Without any shadow of a doubt, if I came up to you and I told you, do you know what those people did down at so-and-so church? Why? Brother Steve, they went out and they sold their own possessions so that they could give it to somebody else that had a need. I mean, you know, what's the rule? Those those people, they're doing strange things. What would we, probably first thing we think is, well, they've got some kind of a cult going down there. (laughs) You see, the truth is, is when we read these verses in Scripture, it somehow just kind of washes over us. But folks, I want to tell you, What we're reading in these two verses right here would be considered pretty radical Christianity by almost anybody's standards because of where the church is today. But then I thought about that, and I said, you know, well, Jesus Christ was considered pretty radical himself. Matter of fact, those that followed him were considered pretty radical in a lot of ways. He was considered radical by the world. He was certainly considered radical by the religious crowd. (laughs) And you know, he was even considered radical by his own followers at times. They wondered, what's he talking about? What's he doing? Is it not fair to say that if the church that Jesus Christ is building, the church that is the body of Christ, that's being led by him, that's exemplifying him, not ourselves to the world, that is operating in his power and not ours. Don't you think that they're going to be considered radical by a lot of people? Matter of fact, they're probably going to be considered radical by most people. And all that believed were together and had all things common. It's hard to get all of anything together nowadays, whether in person or in mind. We find that I know one thing that this verse is not talking about some big commune either that was we might have seen in the 60s, you know, where everybody just lived together in one big place. That's not what Christ taught. It's not what he advocated. It's certainly not what we see that the early church did in, in, in those early days. That's, that's not what he's saying here. But it is saying something very clear. First of all, they had the, this, this church, they had a common faith. We've talked about that so many times. They were in unity. That's part of what being a church is. You can't be one body and be going all these different directions at one time. 
They had things in common, common faith, a common love, a common love for Christ and a common love for each other. And I believe that we can see very clearly from what they were doing here, they had a common desire to minister or to serve one another. Matter of fact, he goes on to say, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. They get more radical all the time. I mean, that just sounds crazy. Of course, it also shows us that this ministry of works, this ministry of service to one another, that that meant more to them. It meant more to them to serve another person in their needs than it did just to hold on and build up their earthly possessions. Boy, that's, that's strange thinking, isn't it? Is that, is, is that the way that most of us think today as Christians? Is it more important? Somebody else's needs, is that so important that I would willingly desire to go out and sell something that is of value to me, that is a, a personal possession, in order to meet that person's needs. Of course, that gets reversed a lot of times, too. People think that the church owes them something. They think that just because they have a need, that the church should step up and do everything there, when in fact, their needs are really wants. When they really look around at what they have and the possessions that they have in comparison, you see, when we begin to feel like God owes us and the church owes us, then we're in the wrong place. The problem is a lot of times Christians let that bother them to the point that they can't, well, we don't know if that needs real or not. You know, we don't really know if that's something that we ought to be taking care of. We get so worried that we might get it wrong because we might give where there's not a real need. I promise you something sincerely. Before God, you'll be far better off if you give to meet somebody's need that wasn't as genuine as maybe you thought that it was than if your brother's in need and you close off your compassion and your bowels towards him. These people were ready. They were willing to use whatever they had in order to serve someone else, to meet someone else's need, even to the point of selling their own possessions. I want to tell you, that is pretty radical. That's not normal. That's not what we usually see happening in any church today. Of course, an interesting question arises. You know, was this service, this serving the needs of others, were they only doing that, Brother Chris, to those that were in the church? Um, it says here that they parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, is that all and that every there? Is that just all and every in the church? Or is it really all and every? We ask ourselves, and, and, it, and it may be kind of hard, well, 
wonder if that could possibly be tied to what took place down in verse 47 when it talks about them praising God. And notice the next words, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Having favor with all the people, do you think that possibly part of that reason why that there was a favor upon the church was because of the ministry of love and caring that they were showing to others? I don't know. I'd say it's a good question to ask. Paul uses a very similar term when he's writing to the church at Galatia. And it's concerning this matter of ministering again to others. But in there, he distinguishes the all from just the believers. Notice what he says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, but then he goes on to speak, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now, it's obvious that when he says all men, he means all men. And he also here does give a priority to other believers as a church. We should, with every opportunity that we have, do good unto all men. And we especially ought to be taking care of those and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I think it's fair to say that if we're honest, when we define the church, and one of the ways we define the church, of course, we saw was as a body. And we're told within that body the importance of every member of that body and every member doing its part, and all of them working together to serve one another so that the body as a whole is effective as one single body. Most church bodies today are operating as a cripple more than they are as a whole. Because this one's upset over that, and this one's upset over something else, and this one's complaining about that. They're not together. They're more concerned about self than about the others. They're more concerned about, oh, wow, you know, what does God expect? I mean, I have to work. I have to do this. I have to go there. I have to do this. Yeah, God expects you just to push him down the ladder wherever you got room for. See, that's what happens. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying, let's get honest. We're looking in God's Word. Well, I'm saying that if this whole description of the church as a body, with everybody being a member and all those members working together, one for another, serving one another, so that the whole is effective, then that, doesn't that make what we see happening in this church in Acts, in Jerusalem, and what Paul is writing to the church at Galatia. We can look to plenty of other places, but doesn't that make a little sense in the fact that, well, what we've already learned about the body, the whole, that's what it's all about anyway. 
is doing for the other person, encouraging the other person, lifting up the other person, not telling them how sorry they are and how they messed up here. And boy, they'd be a whole lot better Christian if they'd quit doing this or start doing that. And we've got it all figured out how they can be the best Christian in the world instead of trying to love them, meet them where they are, pick them up and encourage them. Boy, I want to tell you something. The devil wouldn't like that. <laughs> Because then you're going to have people getting stronger and being built up and being encouraged, working together like they're supposed to as one body, putting one above the other. There's something else about that symbolism of the body, though. You see, it's not just anybody. It's the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ. And wouldn't that just as surely necessitate the serving or ministering not only to those within, but those without. <laughs> Christ came to the world, believe it or not. Christ loved the world. Christ has told us as a church to go into all the world. Sake of time. I'm not going to look at all the verses that we've already covered concerning this matter. But surely we can accept that the ministry of works, the ministry of service that Christ performed was to every human being. Yes, he served his followers in a, in a special way. And they were blessed with many special benefits. And, and yes, even as a church, we are to give a a special priority to those that are part of the body, but we find that many of the unsaved could never experience the benefits of the saved. That's just natural. They can never know those things that we can know. That's part of the blessing of being a child of God. We have an inheritance. We have him there with us all the time, everywhere. There's some things the unsaved can never have, until they become a Christian. But Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came not to those that were well and healthy and well, but to those that needed a physician. You see, everywhere, in the end, he wanted to see the lost saved. That's what he died for. That's what he came for. When Jesus came in his earthly body, he ministered to the breadth of people's needs. Oh, my, the list we could make here, and we even sang about it earlier in some of the singing. You see, he loved them all. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He comforted the brokenhearted. He taught them, and he guided them. He accepted and had compassion when everybody else was judging and accusing. Most of all, he forgave them when they didn't deserve it. He saved their souls. They would just look to him and believe. He expected nothing. He'd done it all. That same Jesus, the same one that came in that earthly tabernacle, the same one that came and ministered to anyone that would accept it. Oh, he was criticized because some of those that he, that he ministered to, that he reached out to, that he served, they would be considered the scum of the earth. 
I mean, you know, they were the, the crooked tax collectors and they were the prostitutes and they were those that nobody wanted anything to do with. Jesus came to them. That same Jesus is dwelling in us today. We, we, we saw where that also his church is a building, a tabernacle that he dwells within, not in some brick and mortar, but in his people. We not find that surely Jesus would seek to minister and to serve both those within the body and those without. The needs are often very different, but there are needs that need to be met. You see, the ministry of works as a function of the church is probably most simply defined as the work of Christ. The work of Christ within the church, the work of Christ outside these walls without church should seek to, to minister and to serve as he did. Is that not what it said? He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom. You see, he came to serve others, and no price was too high. He was willing to give it all. And he gave it all for you and for me. Can I say that, folks, you know, all we have to do is look around, and, and, and the church of today is, is surely miserably failing in this area of ministry, just as so many others. We are, undoubtedly, in that lukewarm Laodicean church age that we see right at the end in Scripture the church of the New Testament, though, even the churches of most of history, at least the, the, the true churches of history, they've taken much more seriously the needs of others within and without. The church, for the most part today, though, is just simply bowed out of the picture because We've got so many excuses that we can just line them up one after the other. Quite amazing what we can convince ourselves of when we really want to. You know, up until the first half of the 20th century, it wasn't the government. It was the church that met most of the social needs of the people. You see, most of the churches before our modern times would be considered pretty radical by most standards today. In the years that have gone by us, you see, it was the church through this ministry of works, through this ministry of service that reached out to the needs of the people, whether it was food or whether it was clothing, whether it was a place to sleep, whether it was schools to educate, medical, virtually all areas where the poor and the needy of society were suffering. Often the 
needs were greater than the means to meet them all, but the church had a different attitude toward doing all that it could. It was during those dark days following World War I and that Great Depression that hit and people were suffering so much that really the church just got overwhelmed and it was really then that governments in the West began to get involved in those social needs of people. And you know, on the one hand, okay, maybe that was good, the, the help was needed, but the problem is is that as soon as the government got involved and started doing something, the churches just bowed out. They didn't have to do it anymore. The government would take care of it. Folks, I'm not talking about the liberal social gospel that is prevalent in many places. And, you know, as soon as man touches anything, there's going to be extremes. I'm not equating this ministry of works with that social gospel of liberal theology. There's a great danger in people getting too focused on the social needs at the expense of the gospel. They can feel good about themselves because they're doing this. They're, they're clothing this person. They're feeding this person. They're doing these wonderful things in society, and, and that's what God expects of them. Never. Underline it. Capitalize it. Hit you bold and everything else. Never. Well, God wants us to do anything at the expense of the gospel. Folks, that's ultimately where it all leads to. The witness of the gospel must never be lost in seeking to do what's good. You see, all the good in the world would never save a soul from hell. Can't do it. Find that Christ's love. Christ's love is just as unconditional today <laughs> as it was when he was walking on this earth. Aren't you glad it was unconditional when he loved you? Aren't you glad that you can know with absolute confidence that whatever that one that you know, that, that loved one, that family member, whatever they've done in their past, aren't you glad that you can know that God loves them enough that he'll accept them with open arms? You see, his compassion is just as real today. And we need to reach all that we all that we possibly can with the gospel. We've seen the importance of that. But that's got to be a goal, not a condition. Jesus didn't say, I'll feed you if you'll become a Christian. I'll feed you if you'll do this or you'll do that. When they were hungry, he fed them. Why? Because they were hungry. It's just that simple. Many that he ministered to in meeting their needs didn't turn right around and rejected him and his message and everything about it. But Jesus, the two always went together. The meeting of the needs, the message. But one wasn't dependent upon the other. You see, some of the opinion that we're just to go out and to evangelize and not concern ourselves with these social needs. That's not our responsibility. 
Others seek to meet the social needs and not worry about the gospel. Exclude it. The message to the churches, the example of the New Testament churches, the message of our Savior and His own example, they all teach us that it should be natural and it should be necessary for the church to minister to the needs of people, whatever those needs might mean, to do so in the love of Christ, pointing men to Him, operating in a way that brings all the glory to Him. Again, just another reason that it should be done through the church. The love of Christ, His example, his command to serve others, it should all necessitate this ministry in our lives. Paul said to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ compels us. That's why we do it. You might have expected me to give you some long list of just all these different ministries that we ought to be doing when I say specific areas of ministry. Well, I could. That list could go on and on and on and on and on. But I think more importantly, the underlying point that I want you to see is that we have a very important message through Christ and His church in Scripture that should motivate us, that should drive us to be serious about the ministry of works and service, folks, it would change any church. When you genuinely begin to be committed to the body of Christ because of what you can do for someone else, you're there for them. When he has first place in your life, really, not just in words, when you're putting others before yourselves, yes, I'm not ashamed to say it, your personal possessions, your personal comforts, you can rationalize it all away. That's not what was concerning the church in the New Testament. Oh, we've been programmed well and we've learned these things well. And we can rationalize them all away. You're welcome to try and do that. But I believe you'll do it at either ignoring or avoiding what God gives to us in His Word. It's vital within the church. If the body's going to be strong, if the body's going to be healthy, then this ministry of works and service within the body is an absolute essential. And if this body is to exemplify Jesus Christ to this world, this ministry of works, this ministry of service is essential. You see, what are the specific areas of service that we as a church should be involved in? I could sum it up in three things if I could give it to you this morning. What ministry should we as a church be involved in? Wherever there is a need. Wherever there is a need. Whenever there is opportunity, anywhere that we possibly can, that we can do something. If that opportunity is there, he says to take it at whatever the personal cost. That's what we see. I know it's radical. 
I know it's radical by our thinking. It's radical by the world's thinking. It's radical by the church's thinking because it's the church that Jesus Christ is building. It's the example that he set. It's what he wants from us. Wherever there's a need, whenever there's opportunity, whatever the personal cost, and I close with this, scriptural authority to serve, well, in our text before us, the others we've looked at, and I, I know some things are controversial. I guess if I weren't such a loving, controversial guy, we could maybe fill these seats up and I quit running people off. Amen? I don't do it intentionally. Simple truth is, is that I believe that I can state absolutely, unequivocally this morning that the only scriptural authority to serve is, is through the church through the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about some invisible thing. We've talked about that. That's going to come one day. There'll be a symbol through the local church, if you would. That's what he's left here. You see, we, we, we see a local church at Jerusalem and right through the rest of the New Testament. It's the only example given. It's the only teaching that's there. I scratch my head, and I, and I really find it difficult sometimes to understand all the controversy over such a simple principle of Scripture. But, but then I remember the flesh. I have to admit, and you have to admit, submission to authority doesn't really come natural and easy to any of us in our natural selves. We don't like authority but we must submit to one another, to the Lord. And these 36 sermons just on the church are just, <laughs> we find that everything that we have looked at scripturally points in one direction. You see, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God incarnate in the flesh, he holds all the power all the authority in heaven and in earth. That same Jesus is the one that commissioned his church to go into all the world to accomplish his work under his authority. We find that nowhere, nowhere in Scripture do we find the work of Christ being carried out without either his direct authority when he was here in the flesh or with the authority of his church after he returned to glory. It's not there. Show me one place where you find God doing his work without the church in the New Testament, without somebody that's under the authority of a church. And all the New Testament is the local church. They approve. They send out under the authority of that church, his church, to do the work of Christ. No exception. That's only man that has brought the exception in. Now listen, I can say and I can mean it that I thank God for all the good that's done in this world by individuals, by these parachurch organizations, by good reputable charities, 
anyone that's showing compassion and doing good to others. Thank God for any good that's done. We need more good, but just because something is good, just because it's meant for good, it doesn't mean it's biblical. It doesn't mean it's being done according to God's plan. It doesn't mean that it's being done the best that it can be done, no matter how good that it is. You see, it can be done with great sincerity, with all the best intentions, but it still doesn't mean that it's the best. Thank God for the good that they're doing, but the world, though it can use all the good that it can get, all the good in the world will never make us right with God. You see, the biblical pattern, the teaching is that any work of the ministry, it should be done under his authority, his authority through the local church. You see, we've got to seek to be Christ-like. We've got to do more than just be good. We've got to be Christ-like in all that we do. To do that, we've got to be biblical. Every Christian, every Christian, once they're saved, they ought to be baptized. They ought to join themselves to a fellowship of people. You see, it's through the church, all through Scripture, that the Lord's work is accomplished. <laughs> I'll tell you another reason that some people struggle with that, because of pride. Not only authority, but pride. The flesh struggles with both of them. You see, if it's done through his local church, which is the body of Christ, there's no preacher, no deacon, no individual that gets a pat on the back and gets credit because, boy, they were such a nice person. They helped me so much. No, it's the church of Jesus Christ that gets the glory, that gets the credit. doesn't matter what individual did it. When it's done as a body, it takes our pride out of it. It places it under his authority, and it means that he gets all the glory for it. Folks, a simple statement. Every individual, they need to be saved. They need to be baptized. They need to be committed to a local body of Christ where they can worship, where they can witness, where they can grow in the Word, where they can work for our Lord as you serve Him and all those around you. And God willing, we're going to look at one other thing next week if the Lord tarries. Mm -hmm.